Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Well, friends, today the title for my message, if you're taking notes, is The Life We're Looking For. The Life We're Looking For. And I, I want to I want to propose something to us today as we begin to look at this topic and as we open God's word together. I think what we're going to see from the scriptures today is that there are three moves. We have to make three moves if we want to find the life that we're all looking for. And those three moves are this. Number one, we have to move from our face to his face. Come on, somebody. I'll explain that more in a minute. Number two, we have to move from distraction to devotion. And number three, we have to move from shame to grace. From shame to grace. And today I'm going to be looking at one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It's one that I've preached on before. It's one that I've studied before. It's one that I've come back to over and over again because, honestly, it's one of those passages of Scripture where, where if you're honest and you read it and you really understand what Paul is trying to say right here, you look at this passage of the Bible and you say, wow, really, Paul? There's a huge gap between my experience of the Christian faith and what you're saying it should be. There's a massive gap between where I'm at and what I experience of Jesus on a daily basis in my walk with him and what you're comparing this to. And so I need to figure out how do I close that gap a little bit or where, where potentially am I misunderstanding something? You know, maybe it's just that I, I, I've become so accustomed to the idea of the, the beliefs of being saved by grace through faith. You know how sometimes you get familiar with something and it loses the wonder a little bit? Ever had that experience? Something new and shiny? It's fascinating. It's exciting. It's kind of like Olive Garden breadsticks. No joke. So I um, took my daughter on a daddy-daughter date last week. And she said, I said, where do you want to go to eat? Pick anywhere. Take anywhere. She said, Dad, there's this new restaurant I've seen over by, I think it's by Best Buy or by Sam's Club over there in Folsom by the Palladio. That's where I want to go. I said, okay, what's it called? She's like, I can't remember. Let's just drive that way. I'll, I'll know it when I see it. I said, okay. So we're driving, and she sees it out the left one. She says, there it is right there, Olive Garden. Olive Garden. And I thought to myself, wait, have I never taken my daughter to the Olive Garden? I grew up at Olive Garden. Olive Garden is the spot, you know? I, and I was thinking through all the restaurants of my childhood, Applebee's, Chili's, Olive Garden, TGI Fridays. I don't even know if all these are out on the West Coast. I think they are. We got all those out here, don't we? Uh, but what struck me was the fact I've literally, maybe it's because I got so sick of them as a kid. It was like where my family went every week for our eating out night as a family. I had never taken my daughter to Olive Garden and we show up in the Olive Garden. I've been there a million times, not to this one, but just as a child growing up. And you know how it is. They come out, they take your order. And then within like 30 seconds, you've got a huge salad and a pile of breadsticks that never ends on your table. My daughter loves bread. She takes one bite of that Olive Garden breadstick and she looks at me with legitimate fury in her eyes. 
how have you never taken me here before, Dad? <laughs> how have we never gone to the Olive Garden before? And I thought, oh, sweetheart, I don't know. That's on me. I feel like I've robbed you of half your childhood now, but this will be our daddy-daughter date spot from now on, and you can eat breadsticks to your heart's content. Praise Jesus. But sometimes I feel like if we're honest... We can treat the realities and the truths of the gospel a little bit like never-ending breadsticks at Olive Garden. First time you had a breadstick at Olive Garden, you thought, whoa, like this, what, this is phenomenal. You know, then by the ninth or the tenth one, you're like, all right, they're just okay. Then the next time you go, you're like, wow, yeah, these are great. And then by the time you eat nine or ten again, you're like, okay, maybe no more breadsticks again for a while. And eventually, the novelty of the breadsticks wears off. Eventually, that which was new to us loses its wonder just a little bit. And when I look at what Paul is saying here, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, sometimes I just have to pause and say, wow, really? Is what he is saying, is what he's saying true? Is this true? Is this really, really what's happened to us? What we have access to, what we have available to us in Christ Let's read this and look at these realities together. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 12. Paul writes this, since, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of that which was being brought to an end. I'll explain that in just a second. He said, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Look at your neighbor and say freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. So he's saying with unveiled face, no veil over our face, nothing between us and God, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, the reason when I read this, I question Paul and ask him if he was here today, really, Paul? You're gonna compare what I have in Jesus Christ, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, my access to God through Jesus Christ, you're gonna compare that to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus 33 and 34, and we're just gonna go back and look at this together because you have to see it to believe it. You have to read it to believe what Paul is comparing our salvation to in the Old Testament. This amazing, powerful reality. In Exodus 34, starting in verse 34, Exodus 34, 34, here's how it describes Moses' interaction with God. Listen to these words. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded by God, the instructions he got from God, 
the people of Israel would see the face of Moses. They'd look at his face. That the skin of Moses' face was shining. Not sure how your quiet time was last week. Any of you walk out of your quiet time with a shining face reflecting the glory of God? No, me neither. Okay. Um, the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord, till he went back into the tent of meeting. And what Paul is saying is this. When we, as new covenant believers, as those who have put our faith in Christ, when we turn to the Lord, it's as though, verse 18 in 2 Corinthians 3.18, with unveiled face or beholding the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay, this is what Paul's talking about. And if we're being honest, there's a bit of a gap between probably what we experience of our daily walk with Jesus, what we experience of the Olive Garden breadsticks, of what we experience of what salvation truly is and what Moses experienced in the tent of meeting. Paul is so bold to say that the ministry of Jesus Christ, that the ministry of the Spirit inside of us so far exceeds what Moses experienced, what Moses was talking about in the law. He said, it's as though as, as everything Moses did was brought to nothing. Not that the law wasn't important, not that Moses' ministry wasn't important, not that there's any imperfection in the law of God. He just says, what Jesus Christ has done for us to raise us from spiritual death to life, to, to turn us into living, breathing vessels, homes of the glory of God, houses in which the Spirit of God can live inside of us, is so far beyond anything that Moses experienced in that tent of meeting he goes, you can't even compare the two. Can't even compare the two. So my thought, my question for Paul, every time I come to this verse, is I ask the question, okay, Lord, what gives? What do I need to do in my own walk to experience the reality of what's been done for me through Jesus Christ, to experience the hope of the gospel in the way that Paul sees it, to experience the truth and the freedom of what we have in Christ. And so let's look at these three moves because I think these moves are essential to us experiencing what Paul is talking about. Number one, again, from our face to his face. One of the words that comes up, one of the words that comes up over and over again in this passage of 2 Corinthians 3, I'll read it for us, says, yes, to this day, Whenever Moses is read, that's the Torah, the law, the prophets, the Old Testament, a veil lies over their hearts, just like a veil was over the face of Moses when he came out of the tent of meeting. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So when one turns to the Lord, just like Moses, when he went into the tent of meeting, he would remove the veil and he would speak to God face to face as a friend says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. He goes on, and we all with unveiled face, 
we've turned to the Lord, our face is not veiled. If we know Jesus Christ, our face is not veiled. We are legitimately looking at the glory of God. He goes on, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, most of my life, most of my Christian life, most of my life as a follower of Jesus, uh, there are two things in this passage that it doesn't, that are difficult for me to relate to. And here's what I mean. For one, it feels difficult for me to behold the glory of the Lord. It feels difficult for me to think about what does it look like for me to look at Jesus, to see his face, to behold him on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis, right? That feels a little foreign to us. We've, we've lost, at some level, our ability to do this, right? So that's the first disconnect. The second one is this idea of transformed, being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to the next. My life doesn't always feel like I'm going from glory to glory to glory to glory, I don't know about your life, but there are moments in my life where it feels quite the opposite from failure to failure to failure to failure to shortcoming to shortcoming to shortcoming to anxiety to anxiety to depression. Like, name it. Doesn't feel like I'm going from glory to glory. Maybe it's because I'm not beholding the glory of the Lord very much or considering the face of Jesus very much. And my questions were, Lord, how do I do this? And I was reading this, this article by a, a, a brilliant theologian, a writer, his name's Andy Crouch, and he was talking about the effects of technology. And I know we've all heard a million uh, discussions and TED Talks and articles. We've all read about all the effects of technology and the increase in anxiety and depression and comparison and how, all the things it does to us. This is not another you know, message that says you need to go burn your iPhone. I'm not trying to say that. <laughs> What I am saying is this, because I think he brings up something so important. He brought up something so important. He said, you know, what is your iPhone? What is this thing? If you opened it right now and you showed all of us, we showed each other the homepage of our iPhone. What apps do we have on our homepage? All of our homepages on all of our iPhones would be distinctly different. We have different apps, different widgets. It's like a fingerprint, right? It's, it reflects our interests. It reflects the things that we want to see. And he says what's amazing about an iPhone is the fact that, in essence, an iPhone is just a reflection of you. It's just reflecting back to you what you want to see, what your interests are. If we think about it, man, I pop that thing open, and suddenly I have access to my friends, my likes, my views, my news sources, the games that we like to play, our fitness goals, our fitness apps, our reminders for our life, my weather, my weather reports that affect the plans for my day, my emails, my messages, my photos, my flights, my vacation rentals, my Uber drives, my favorite restaurants, my podcasts, the conversations I want to hear, the shows I want to watch, the movies I like, the music I like, my financial portfolio, my bank account, my real estate, my audiobooks, my online wish list on Amazon, the power to buy anything I want from my couch in the comfort of my home my fantasy football scores. 
It's a reflection of our lives. Andy Crouch, he goes on to say something that I thought was so profound. He said, our phones become the world as we want it. Perfectly curated to our tastes, a technological reflection of us. And he goes on in the article to talk about this figure from Greek mythology, Narcissus. He said, Narcissus was the figure from Greek mythology. It's where we get the word narcissism from. And it was, it was a man, it was a mythological character who became so in love with his own image, his own beauty. He refused the advances from women, from other people. He just became obsessed with himself. And one day he found a pool and he began to gaze on his own image in this crystal clear pool in the woods. And he laid down beside the pool and people would come to him and say, Narcissus, you must eat. You must drink. You can't just live here by the pool. You can't just stare at yourself all day long. And he would say, leave me alone. I have found what I'm looking for. And eventually he died there. And what struck me and what, what Andy Crouch was saying was we have the world as we want it at our fingertips and the iPhone, the technology that we want has become like Narcissus Pool. It's so much easier to gaze into a reflection of what we want, our desires, our curated reality of life in our own hand than it is to deal <laughs> with the complexities and difficulties and anxieties and conflict of another person. Come on, somebody. We're all in there together. When technology first came out, when computers first, you know, came on the scene, I remember having Windows 94 or 93, 95, I can't remember what it was, on this little box upstairs in the landing of our house. Not little, it was a big computer box. You know, you, you start the internet, AOL, and it's like, 25 minutes later, it's like, you're online. You've got mail, Right. There was zero competition between that computer and my friends or that computer and my family. Why? It was impersonal. It was a cold, disconnected, distant machine. Now I pick up my iPhone and what does it do? It recognizes my face. <laughs> and it gives me everything I want to see right there. And there's no competition at all. It wins every time. I would rather sit there staring at some reflection of my own desires and wants and joys and the things that I find funny and entertaining than deal with somebody else who may not see things the way I see them and may not have the same interests as me. And we get turned in on ourselves. And we get sucked into our own worlds. And I think what Paul is saying is, if you actually want to find the life you're looking for, a life that is filled with meaning, purpose, peace, joy, a life that is anchored in truth and reality to God and is anchored in the salvation through Christ alone, then we have to make the number one move from staring at our own face to looking at his face. And when we look at the face of Jesus and the face of our Father, we see a Father that so loved the world, he came down and served others. And instead of getting wrapped up into an internalized cycle of our own worlds, we begin to look out and think, man, who am I going to love today as the Father loves them? Who am I going to serve today as the Father would serve them? What am I going to stand for today? 
Paul goes on in these passages of scripture. He talks about those who are yet to see Christ. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He goes on to say this, next verse. He said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's talking about Genesis 1. The very God who spoke in the beginning, let there be that same God, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown, has shined the light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, how do I see the face of Jesus? He's not here right now. He's seated at your right hand. Well, I've given you a book called the Bible, and inside that book... And you can access it a million different ways on your iPhone. You can listen to it through an audio app. You can read it on your own. But you have this incredible thing called the New Testament. And the entire New Testament has one central character, a whole lot of role play characters, but one central character, his name is Jesus. And if you want to stare at the face of Jesus and get to know Jesus and fall in love with Jesus and be transformed into the same image of Jesus, you actually have to know the word. You can't just have a relationship with the preacher who preaches the word or a relationship with the sermon about the word you got to get in the word for yourself every day. You, you got to learn to, to taste and see that the Lord is good by getting in the scriptures for yourself, wrestling over the Bible for yourself, reading it until it begins to make sense. And you have to get out of the cycle of looking at your own face and beginning to look at his face by looking at God's word, reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John looking at the face of Jesus, who is the image of God. That's where it starts. It starts in community with others who are trying to understand and follow Jesus. It starts by coming to church on Sundays and worshiping Jesus. It starts by putting Jesus first in every area of our lives. And so the first move we have to make is from our face to his face. The second one is from distraction to devotion. From distraction to devotion. So verse 16, it says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Lord, how do I see you? How do I encounter you? How do I experience you? Turn to me. When? All the time. Whenever you need. Whenever you want. Turn to me in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, Bring me everything that's going on in your life. Talk to me about it. Lord, I'm so anxious, right? I've got so much stuff going on in life. I, you know, this fish tank right here, I'm sure this represents many of your souls. You know, you wake up in the morning and your heart and your mind and your soul, it's like a, it's like a serene mountain lake, just full of peacefulness, right? No, not mine at least. Mine uh, it looks a little more like... <laughs> I don't know, this. It's filled with doubts and anxieties and, you know, areas where I, I wonder if I've made the right decision or, 
you know, impulses and, 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 and parts of my life that I'm not proud of and all these different things. And, and I think to myself, man, didn't I just deal with those yesterday? Weren't those a thing, the same things that I was carrying around yesterday? And then if it's a Sunday morning and the Georgia Bulldogs have lost, there's one of these in here too. And then it's just awful. It's gone off the rails, right? And so I've got two options. Either I just stuff it, try and keep it all underneath the surface, or I just, okay, I've got two options. I'll either distract myself, distraction or devotion. So I'll take all my anxieties, my worries, my habits, my addictions, my broken relationships, my bitterness, my unforgiveness, my envy, my you know, anxiety, depression, you name it, whatever it is. And I'll just distract it away. I'll just hide it over here. You can't really see it. I'll try and stuff it, but gosh, it keeps coming up. So, I, I, man, I'll distract it myself a little more. Or, like verse 16 says, I'll turn to the Lord. Lord, do you really care about this? I'm kind of embarrassed of this, Father. I don't even know how to bring this to you. Just talk to me about it, says the Lord. Just turn to me in your heart. We'll take some time to look at that. Where's that anxiety coming from? Where's that habit coming from? Why are you so wrapped up in that? Why do you feel such a compulsion to talk negatively of others? Why do you keep uh, ending up in broken relationships? Why are your finances still a mess? Lord, I'm embarrassed about these things. Well, just keep bringing it to me. Yeah, you can bring me that one too, and that one as well. And it doesn't have to be pretty. You can be frustrated about it. You can bring me your anger. You can bring me your sorrow, your sadness. Just keep bringing it to me. Turn to the Lord. Whenever one turns to the Lord, what happened? Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, it says the veil is removed. And suddenly you begin to see Jesus. You begin to, to see him in light of your own issues and the, the complications of your life and the difficulties and the stress and the, the turmoil that you face on a daily basis. And when you turn to him and you begin to see it in the light of the image of the glory of God and the, the shining brightness of a father who loves you and is for you and is there to walk with you through it and to empower you, suddenly these things, which you were trying to suppress and stuff or distract away, begin to get healed. And it doesn't mean they don't show up the next day. But you just keep bringing it back. And eventually, they do go away. But I guarantee you this, promise you this, whatever you try and stuff with distraction, it for sure shows up the next day. Whatever you're trying to hide or distract or self-medicate away, it's a temporary fix. It just keeps coming back. And so Paul says, look, it's simple. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. If you wanna be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, if you wanna actually take the stuff of your life that's destroying your life, and find freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you actually wanna do something about that stuff, take it to God, turn to him. Remember, read the gospels, remember how Jesus dealt with sinful people with graciousness and compassion, but then he also empowered them through his spirit to live free, to find freedom. And so the call to us really is beginning 
In verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Friends, we might be saved by grace standing in the presence of God, just like Moses stood in the tent of meeting with the glory of God right in front of him. We have access to who Jesus was and what he did. We may have all of that, but we might be standing there veiled, unable to see, unable to experience and encounter what God wants to give us. Why? because we haven't turned to him in our hearts. We're not leaning on him day by day, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance. The beautiful thing is, we have access to this anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Moses had to go set up a tent outside the camp and walk to it. He had one time, one place, one opportunity to interact with God. It's available to us at all times, anywhere. Number three, three moves we have to make if we want to experience and find the life we're looking for. Number one, from our face to his face, which is simply putting yourself in a community where you can learn the word of God and you, be, you can begin to fall in love with the truth of who Jesus is. You begin to see him for who he is. From distraction to devotion, instead of distracting ourselves and our problems away, turn to the Lord turn to the Lord again and again and again, and the veil is removed, and you begin to get transformed from one glory to the next. And then number three, we have to shift, we have to move from shame to grace. From shame to grace. In Exodus 33 and 34, there are two things that happen with Moses between Moses and God that are just stunning. At one point, Moses asks God, the Father, he says, show me your glory. I wanna see all of you. Show me your glory, God. And even though there's this metaphor, I believe, where it says Moses and God spoke together face to face as though a friend was speaking to a friend, I believe that's more in the context of their relationship because right after that, when Moses says, show me the fullness of your glory, he goes, I can't, you'll die. It will consume you. And so just a few verses later, he goes, I'm gonna put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm gonna cover you with my hand and all my goodness is going to pass before you. And he says this, it's incredible. In verse 19 of Exodus 33, so verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God responded and said in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Isn't it stunning that when Moses says, show me the fullness of who you are, God says, I'm gonna declare you, to you my name, the Lord. I'm gonna tell you about my grace and my mercy and my goodness. So I'll be gracious to whom I wanna be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I want to show mercy. You see, I think the reason many of us turn our faces to devices or to distraction or to anything but the face of God the reason 
Many of us don't run to God in the midst of our brokenness and our shame. The reason we don't bring all the stuff of our life to God is because we think that when we show up before God, he's gonna be angry, disappointed, frustrated. What, really, that again? You wanna bring that one again? You should have dealt with that one by now. Really? That one? When the Lord himself says to Moses, as Moses says, show me your glory, he goes, I'm gonna let all my goodness pass in front of you and you're gonna see my grace and my mercy because I'm a God that forgives iniquity and sin to a thousand generations. He's foreshadowing the cross. I'll close with this and invite the band to come out. The glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. It's found in the beauty of who Christ is. The love of Christ for us, the dying love of God on the cross, that's how we know who God is. I remember when my son Sawyer was first born and we brought him home from the hospital. Um, there's this incredible phase that newborn infants go through. And if you're a parent, you remember. So once they, once they settle down and they've come out of the womb and they've, they've sort of accepted the shock of being in the real world and breathing air and all the things that an infant goes through, they begin searching. Scientists, researchers have done all this research around the first few hours of an infant's life and they begin to search, they begin to look and they're looking for a face. They're trying to figure out deep down in their subconscious, who am I, where am I? And the only way to orient themselves to who they are and what they are is to find a face. And Lord willing, they find a face of a caregiver or a loved one or a father or a mother who is looking back on them with love. And they attach to those eyes, they attach to that face. And there's something deep inside of them that begins to calm down and they, they begin to know this is who I belong to. This is whose I am. This is who I am. And I remember in the early, early months of Sawyer being alive, and he'll have no memory of this, but I know it's buried deep in the foundation of who he is. He would wake up in the middle of the night because he was hungry and he would be fed. And then I would, you know, pick up the football. I'd get the handoff as the dads do sometimes, and I would begin to walk him 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning to calm him down. And we lived in Kentucky at the time. I was in seminary, and I remember one night it was snowing outside. He was having a particularly hard time falling asleep, and I had wrapped him up, swaddled, swaddled him up, swaddled him, that's a hard one, swaddled him up so warm, and I said, I'm just gonna walk outside with him. And I remember walking down the street in the street lights, it's snowing and just speaking over my son, I love you, I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're mine. I'm so glad you came to my home, that God sent you to my house. I'm so proud to be your dad. You, you can't even understand me, you can't speak back to me, but I love you, son. And I think back to Jesus when he gets baptized and his heavenly father 
He rends the heavens, and it's one of those amazing moments where everyone hears the audible voice from heaven when Jesus comes out of the water, and God the Father says to God the Son, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And somewhere deep in the heart of every human soul is the need, the longing, the desire for a father, a heavenly father, to look at him without shame, without guilt, without condemnation, and say, I love you. I'm for you. So proud of you. And it's in that place that we experience deep and true and profound transformation and healing that breaks us free from all the junk of our life, all the bad decisions and the bad habits and the brokenness of our life is found in the grace of God. That's why when God said, I'm going to declare my name to you, Moses, and show you who I am, he goes, I'm gracious and merciful. Because that's what you need. That's what I need. That's where freedom is found. came across a hymn, and I'm going to close with this. The words will be on the side screen. I just want you to receive these words. It's an old hymn, but it captures so much of this transition from shame to grace as we want to experience the transformative love of God in our lives. It's called, He Giveth More Grace. And bear with me, it's old English, so there's a lot of giveths in this. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both thee and thy load will unbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.